Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Let's keep that prayer going. Let's keep it alive in our hearts. We never know who we might touch to bring out of darkness into light by sharing the true, the living word of God and better our world, better our world. We heard this morning, Brother Barry reminding us, God's word, there's more with us than with him, the enemy. More, God has more. Let's keep that in mind. Let's keep it in mind. We know the answer, we know the truth. We're gonna keep it in mind as we look into the book of Isaiah this morning, as we were out of town uh, at a spiritual retreat, we heard some messages from uh, the book of Isaiah. And I thought the preacher was going to go right where I was going today. And uh, I said, well, this could make my weekend easier. But he didn't. And I wouldn't do that. I don't want to lift from somebody and bring you a straight rerun from someone else. Uh, but for a minute, I thought, wow, he's going right where I'm going to go. But he, he didn't. We're reading from the book of Isaiah, Second Chronicles as well, last week. If you've been following along in our uh, reading plan, you know that. Keep on it, because for the rest of the summer, we'll be bringing messages from our reading during the week. And we're also touching on it Sunday mornings, Community in the Word. You touched on this this morning and discussed it. I want to talk to you all about it. It's from Isaiah chapter 55. I just want to begin this morning by sharing verses 6 to 11 from Isaiah chapter 55. Then let's talk about it. Isaiah 55 verses 6 to 11 read this way. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, he will freely pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is a grand statement in the book of Isaiah, verses 8 and 9, very well known, quoted often, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. These, these are often preached on, they're isolated, talked about, and they are absolutely true words. God's ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. And the image given here by the prophet presents to us just how different God's ways and thoughts are from us, 
I mean, the, the picture here gives us a vast difference. As high as the heavens are from the earth. So what can we conclude from that? Our thoughts, our ways, they're nearly infinitely distanced from God's. Not even fractionally close. That's how far away our thoughts and our ways are from the ways of Almighty God, creator of the earth. And I believe that we can apply that to any of our thoughts and our ways. And Isaiah, he did not arrive, though, at this statement by speaking in general terms. He wasn't speaking of general thoughts, general ideas, general ways of mankind. This was not some broad brush paint, painting of uh, the world and the behavior of men and women where Isaiah arrived here at this statement. It was specific. He had made a specific point to which he gave this particular word. And the specificity of this particular point, it began much earlier. The start of chapter 51. And if you read from Isaiah 51 all the way through to this point in Isaiah 55, we read about something amazing, stunning. And I want to give you some highlights to lead into this, to give the background that led Isaiah to this statement from God. But first, just a little bit about Isaiah. We heard earlier Brother Barry reminding us about the Assyrians that were coming against the northern kingdom of Israel. They had also harassed the southern kingdom of Jerusalem. And Isaiah was ministering during this time when the Assyrians were trying to just take over the world. Uh, King Sennacherib and uh, all his vast armies. This was from about 740 B.C. to about 685 B.C. was Isaiah's time ministering. And he was in the southern kingdom. Israel was split in two. To the north, there was the nation they called Israel, but it had been defeated by then. It had been defeated and had been scattered. Assyria had come in and they had already uh, really taken over, conquered Samaria. And yet Isaiah would write in chapter 51, the Lord will surely comfort Israel. These are positive words. This is a grand statement. The Lord will surely comfort Israel and will look with compassion on its ruins. He speaks of a return. There will be a return of these scattered people. The redeemed of the Lord shall return. They will come back to Israel with singing. And there will be gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning will flee away. These are the grand statements that the prophet brings in Isaiah 51. He writes that the Lord's salvation will last, not for a time, not for a little bit, not for a few years, not for a hundred years or centuries, not for millennium. No, he says the Lord's salvation will last forever and his righteousness will never fail. He repeats multiple times, awake, wake up, hear this, get this. This is some amazing stuff. 
And then chapter 52 begins with those same words, awake, awake, put on garments of splendor. Don't wake up and put on your work clothes. Something great's going to happen. And now he begins to speak to Jerusalem because Isaiah had already foretold that Jerusalem will fall and it will go into exile. But there will be a restoration. There will be songs of joy in the holy city of Jerusalem and in God's house, his temple, which will also be restored. And then at the end of chapter 52, there is an introduction, an introduction to someone, someone called my servant. The prophet talks about my servant. My servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Now, you go then right into Isaiah 53. It's a marvelous, wonderful, though hard to read a graphic depiction of the suffering of this servant who is none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus, Jesus who will be despised by mankind, rejected by mankind. His suffering is described in, with precision, that he is the lamb led to the slaughter, that he was silent before his accusers. He suffered, he was pierced, he was cut off from the land of the living, and he went to the grave but Isaiah writes, his days will be prolonged. He's going to live again. Yes, the son of heaven will rise again. And it was all done, all done. Isaiah writes in chapter 53, for this servant to carry the sin of many and make intercession for transgressors. So far, that's all Good news and amazing. Chapter 54 continues with the good news, God's love, God's compassion, God's restoration for a people who are lost. Isaiah writes, his unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor his covenant of peace will be removed. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. And he writes, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me. God's glorious redemption, his everlasting salvation. This is the theme that has been presented for four chapters. This is the theme that Isaiah has been writing about with great words. And then chapter 55 opens up. And chapter 55 opens up this way. This is Isaiah 55 verses 1 to 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Now Isaiah has been writing and he has been extolling some high and lofty things to the people who have watched their relatives to the north be conquered and scattered by this king of Assyria. And then the Assyrians were tormenting 
Jerusalem. We read about that, how they were tormenting Jerusalem, but through a miracle of God, they were, they were routed. And yet they were still going to, they were still going to come and, and ultimately the Babylonians were going to come to Jerusalem, yet the prophet spoke a message of restoration, of hope and redemption and everlasting, not temporary, not short-lived, everlasting salvation. And then he writes this, you'll be able to eat and drink, be satisfied without cost. You can come and buy something you don't have to work for. As a matter of fact, you can't work hard enough to earn it. This is the picture of God's everlasting salvation, his everlasting covenant with you. Isaiah 55, verse 3, God will make an everlasting covenant with you. You can get it without cost. You can get it without work. You can get it without effort. It's for you. It's the greatest, richest fare for you. And this has got to be like fantasy talk to these people unbelievable. Seriously? What are you talking about, prophet? That's crazy. And then Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Really? God will freely pardon? All he asks is that I turn from my sinful ways and my evil thoughts. Isn't this the God that demanded sacrifice and all these lambs and bulls and goats and every day and special days, there needed to be two of them and and, and one day out of the year and a number of goats and hands laid on them and sent out to the wilderness and others slaughtered. And what is this all about? This, This God that wants us to spill all this blood, but now he's talking about free pardon? And and he's been writing about this for nearly five chapters, all this wonderful, glorious talk of salvation. It's, re- it's absurd. It's irrational. It doesn't make any sense at all to the God that these people have come to know, that they've served, this God who demands all of this. And the prophet, perhaps anticipating this or God's inspiration to him because that response might have been expected from the people. Crazy talk, can't believe it, free pardon, no way. And then the prophet writes, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Free pardon, eternal salvation, everlasting, never-ending, inconceivable, because you'd never think of it. It wouldn't be your way. The Lord will abundantly pardon For his thoughts and his ways are inconceivably higher than your ways. You know, and this is the essence of the sentiment of the text. 
that the grace and the mercy and the compassion which God extends in the forgiveness of sins forever is exceedingly above that which is found in the human heart. The prophet has expounded on it for nearly five chapters. For those who first heard it, 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 it must have been it must have been stunning, jaw-dropping, absolutely unimaginable. Yet the prophet repeated it over and over again. This is the plan of God. It is his thought for you. It is his way for you to overcome this obstacle of sin and evil. And sin was a, a problem, and it is a problem that required a solution, a way to deal with sin had been introduced. It had been introduced long ago. And the man, Moses, sacrifice, sacrifice something precious. A spotless lamb had to be brought because of sin. The lamb's blood for your sin. But it was temporary. It wasn't lasting. Next time you sin, you got to go through this same process again. Got to go get another lamb. Got to deal with it. Now, how might we have devised a, a way to alleviate the problem of sin forever? What if it was our thoughts? What if it was my thoughts, my way? Well, this much I know. My way would never, ever compare with God's high way. And devising a, a plan or a way of eternal salvation, God's thoughts, so different very different, so far, far above our own. Why wouldn't it have been a simple plan, really? If I'd have come up with a plan, it would have been a simple plan. It would have been an easy plan. Wouldn't it have been more loving and and merciful to just give Adam and Eve, those first sinners, like a do-over? Oh, hey, you messed up. Okay. Let's, I'm God after all. I'll just crank back the hands of time. I could do that, right? I'm almighty God. I'll just crank back the hands of time and we'll do a do-over. Maybe I didn't talk to him stern enough about that tree. I'll be a little more clear this time about, hey, don't touch that tree, right? And then they'll get it and everything will be beautiful. Wouldn't that have been a better plan? What would be our plan? Maybe it would be, eh, just let it go. Okay, so they touched the tree. Well, I could just overlook it, couldn't I? I'm God after all. But God come up with this bloody sacrificial system that required ultimately precious blood the blood of his son to completely eradicate sin, suffering and pain and uh, complication. We certainly could have come up with a better plan. But, But what does that say about sin? What does it say about disobedience? What does it say about rejection of the creator, offending our creator? And that's what sin is. How does overlooking it or just uh, saying, oh, okay, that's okay, we'll, we'll give you a redo or something like that. What does that do? What does that say about the offense of sin? God made it clear, 
Sin's impure. It's unholy. He cannot tolerate it. He cannot just overlook it. Sin, uh, by God's way and God's thought, is so repugnant, so awful, it required an immense, huge remedy, blood, to remedy sin and to remedy all sin forever. God provided his own son, his own son who became part of humanity, became part of humanity as we all do, was born of a woman. Who would have ever thought of that? I would have never come up with that. My way? Mm Mm-mm. One thing special about the birth of God's son was that to maintain his divinity, he was born of a virgin while being altogether human. And that's it. That was his one difference. Aside from that, God's son, Jesus, was born as we all are. And he wasn't born into some privileged life. He wasn't born into uh, some family with illustrious parents and wealth and social status. He wasn't born into human power and splendor. And that was the expectation of many who are anticipating something from God. That probably would have been my expectation, my plan. God should show up big and large and in charge and take over. But God's son was born into a humble home, a humble situation, in a stable, laid in a manger, raised in some small village of no uh, reputation, the son of a carpenter. What kind of plan is this? Certainly not our thoughts, certainly not our way. The humble carpenter showed himself to be a marvelous teacher. And as was predicted in Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised, he was rejected, he was abused, he was forced to leave his hometown, he had no place to lay his head. So much was he hated that the leaders of the time sought his life, he was falsely accused, he was crucified, a criminal, his body was bound and drenched in tears, and he died. And when he died, when his human blood flowed, it did not take away that this was the Son of God, the creator of the world, the only Savior for mankind whose blood cleanses us from all sin. Because The God whose ways and thoughts are so far above ours conceived such a plan. And he received the blood of his son as the final forever remedy for this thing, this problem, the evil of sin. And it costs you nothing. It costs you nothing to receive it. Only repent, forsake your wicked ways and your evil thoughts, says the Lord. Turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on you, and he will freely forgive. Would that have been my plan? Would that have been my way? Mm -mm. God's way, so much higher. So what does the world think of this? Talked last week a little bit about how the world would see this. Ridiculous, crazy, absurd, irrational. All this blood and then the blood of your son. 
But in God's view, in God's eyes, in God's plan, his way, it is wisdom. It's the wisdom of the ages. He forgives and he forgets because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's an expression of divine mercy. Uh, his way of mercy is beyond ours. God gives, he pardons, he forgives freely. The mercy of God and forgiveness is it's way above the, the human heart. What I read this morning, it said he freely pardons. And other English uh, renditions of the Bible uses words like this. God abundantly pardons. God lavishly forgives. God generously pardons. See, his, his forgiveness is not blocked. It's not hindered. He's not holding it back. He's not giving sparingly or stingily, freely, abundantly, generously. That is the spirit of forgiveness, the deep and the wide, contrary to the human heart, spirit of God in terms of forgiveness. Now, those outside of the kingdom of God, when they're insulted, when they're hurt, when they're injured, when they're offended, they tend to be resentful. Desiring vengeance to the point where this evil might even come to such a place in a person's life that they come to a, a store with a gun in their hand to kill people because they've been offended in some way, shape, or form. And that's the evil of the human heart. But even us as Christians, sometimes we find it hard to forgive. Have you ever found it hard to forgive? And yet here's this God who freely pardons. And our Christian faith and our Christian walk, extending forgiveness is an area where we could all likely improve. Jesus talked about it. Jesus spoke about uh, forgiveness. He taught about forgiveness. It was part of his instruction on prayer. Forgive us our trespasses, Lord as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. I mean, that prayer that Jesus taught got a line in there to remind us about forgiveness. Jesus said, too, if your brother sins and repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and he repents, Jesus said, forgive him. That's Luke's gospel. And the gospel of Matthew it's emphasized. Forgive the offender 70 times 7. Now that's forgiving abundantly. This is the thought of God. This is the way of God. In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus said, forgive 70 times 7, that led into an illustration. An illustration uh, with a parable or a story that Jesus told. He told the parable of a, a king whose servant owed him a great sum of money. In, um, in my Bible, it says millions of dollars, a great sum of money that this servant owed the king. So the king called the servant to pay. He said, hey, pay up. And if you don't pay up, I'm going to throw you and your family into debtor's prison, and you're going to have to work off this debt. And the servant threw himself face down on the ground, and he begged for mercy from the king. And the king, with compassion in his heart, forgave the debt. 
And then that same servant meets a fellow servant on the street who owed him just a couple of bucks. And he demanded to be repaid. You owe me, repay me. And his friend begged for mercy. But he didn't receive any mercy, didn't receive any compassion. Instead, he was arrested for failing to pay his meager debt. Now, when the king heard about this, he was furious. He said to this servant, I was merciful. I forgave you a tremendous debt. You should have showed mercy for your paltry little debt. And the parable gives us a picture. It gives us a picture of God's heart, God's heart of forgiveness for sin, sin that offends him, sin that is evil, sin that separates mankind from heaven. God says, I have a heart to forgive that. And it's an image of God's way, God's high, lofty way, as high as the heaven is above the earth compared to my way. My way or his high way. Jesus would have us all to step up to a higher way. But we struggle. We struggle. It's hard. And we're never going to achieve sinless perfection, the perfection and the purity of, of God, of his heart perfectly. But when we struggle in our own hearts to forgive, think of the free and the abundant and the generous, the lavish flow that God has offered in the sacrifice, the humble life of Jesus Christ, his son. Think of Isaiah chapter 53 that describes the rejection of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus that he endured to bring you eternal life forever. His thoughts are about that, far above our thoughts. His way immeasurably above our way. We've committed innumerable sins against God, offenses that have been exponentially multiplied, but God through Christ Jesus forgives even more. Our transgressions abound. His forgiveness superabounds. And Isaiah gave an illustration of this superabundance. He wrote verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 55. As the rain and snow come down from the earth and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. God's forgiveness is pictured here, poured out like rain from heaven. That's God's thought for us. That's his heart for us, to have eternal life by the blood of Christ. Forgiveness of sins by the sacrifice of Jesus. It's a thought, it's an idea that no one in humanity could, could ever conceive. And it's pictured like rain and snow coming down to water the earth. And it has something to accomplish, the prophet says. The water comes down, it has something to accomplish before it evaporates, before it goes back up. And as a side note, evaporation is a pretty marvelous thing, not ever dreamed up in the human heart. That method of water coming down and going back up, that was God's design. That was God's invention. 
He designed that cycle where water comes down and it changes state and it goes back up. But before the water evaporates, we're reminded by the prophet that it does something. It has something to accomplish. It brings to life everything on the earth, all the vegetation and us. We could not survive without the water. So it's there to help bring bread to the eater. People like us, we need it. All life, we couldn't survive without it. And then it evaporates and it goes back up to the clouds. It does not return to the clouds without accomplishing what God sent it to the earth to do. And so it is with the word of God. Isaiah had declared the word of God. He'd been declaring it over and over again. This is God's word, eternal salvation, eternal salvation, an eternal covenant, an everlasting covenant. He repeated it. He described it. Restoration, redemption, compassion, come all, come everybody. There's no cost. It's not going to be any money. You're going to delight in the richest fare. God will make an everlasting covenant with you. God's son, Jesus, the one who was despised and afflicted and was numbered with the transgressors, and he was pierced in his hands and his feet and he was hung on a cross. The word of God from Isaiah is that it is this one who is Jesus who bore the sin of many. That is the word of God higher than anything, anything you or I could ever have imagined or come up with or had an idea in our heart about it. And that is the word that is illustrated here in this passage, that that word of God will accomplish God's purpose. It's going to do something. It's not going to go back to him empty, but accomplish what he desires, the salvation of souls, the adding to the kingdom of God. Man, what a God, what a God, so much higher than we are. What thought, my way can't even be compared to that, that he brought us salvation through his one and only son, Jesus. Man, that is amazing. That is so far above any one of us. And if you haven't connected with that, if you haven't got that, you need to get it. You need to get that Jesus died for you. He made a way that's beyond anything you could have ever dreamed up to get right with God. I mean, we can come up with all kinds of things in our mind. We can come up with all kinds of ways. I mean, I might have even at time said, oh yeah, God's not going to even hold that against me. That's no big deal. It's not a problem. It is a problem. Turn from your wicked ways and your evil thoughts. This is the word of God. And you'll receive this for free, for free. It's an amazing plan. It's one that we're going to celebrate here in just a moment as we sit down at the communion table. But before we we share communion, which is open to every single person in Jesus Christ, everyone who calls on Jesus as Lord and Savior, our communion is open to you. We only ask if if, if you have little children who can't understand this, you, you, you keep them from that. But for us, who are hearing this. And if you haven't received that Jesus Christ died for you, it was God's plan. 
redemption, compassion, loving kindness. Do it right now. Do it right now so you can, you can say, I'm, I'm in Christ. You can share in the communion table what he has done for us. So I want to take a minute to, to ask if there is anyone here, if you've never really said, God, I'm going to forsake. You know, and that means turn my back. I'm going to forsake my way. My way, which is described in God's word as my wicked way. You might say, well, I'm not wicked. If you've sinned, it's an offense against your creator. And he, he counts it serious. And I forsake my wicked ways and my evil thoughts. And I want to take this for free. I want to take this salvation that's talked about, everlasting promise and everlasting covenant for free. You, you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. And if that's you this morning, let's just take a minute for you to, to look inside your heart and do that. And if there's anyone else here, if you're a Christian, you've called on Jesus, but you've, you know you've fallen short, God's compassion, God's heart of forgiveness, it's abundant. It's abundant. Freely flowing. Talk to him about it. God, I, I, I messed up and I... I went the wrong way and my thoughts have taken me down that path again. What did he say? What did Jesus say to, to his friends? Hey, if your brother comes and he repents, forgive. And Jesus is way bigger than our hearts. He's there. He's ready to forgive us. So let's take a minute and pray. And then we're going to receive communion. Father, if there's anyone in this house who's never really received that salvation from Christ. They haven't really connected with the plan that, that's way above ours. God, I just pray if there's any heart in here receiving that right now, God, genuinely and uh, with sincerity, that Father, in the name of Jesus, you would touch their hearts, you would receive their repentance you would receive their repentance and shower them with that, that water from heaven like rain that comes down to the earth, the forgiveness that abundantly flows out of your heart through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May they know it, God. May they tangibly understand their sins are forgiven. And we thank you for it, God. We thank you for it. And for any in here who've uh, followed you, called on you as Lord and Savior, but if Ah, trampled, uh, trampled down the wrong path, turned the wrong way, made, made a bad decision. Lord, as a heart's talking to you, Lord, receive that, we pray. That sincerity, because we know you freely and abundantly give your forgiveness. And we thank you for it, God. We thank you for your precious son, Jesus, and all he's done to win us eternal life. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.